Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. Okay, if you've got a Bible, let's open up to Psalm chapter 11. Psalm 11. While you turn there, I want you to think about maybe the hardest situation you've ever been in in your life, or maybe more specifically, the most confusing situation you've ever been in your life. And what I mean is uh, maybe you've had an unclear decision that faces you, where it's a very important decision, it's a big decision, it's a heavy decision, and you cannot figure out the right thing, the best thing to do. It's not clear. And you find yourself in one of those situations where you might say, we have lots of bad options and I have to determine the least bad option. Maybe hypothetically like a presidential election or something like that. Uh, Now, this psalm before us comes during a time of such confusion. Um, And there's confusing things about the psalm itself, even the way that it's written and the way that we should understand it, interpret it, and apply it. Somebody was giving David advice, but we're not exactly sure. Was it a friend or was it a foe? Or was it even maybe that little voice inside David's own head? You know how sometimes you get into conversations with yourself? I should do this. No, you shouldn't do that. We're not sure who was giving David the advice. And we're not exactly sure where to put the quotation marks. What I mean is like, okay, the advice starts here. And then at some point, we know David was meditating. But where did the advice stop and the meditation stop? There's things in this psalm that are hard to understand. And yet there are some things that are very clear, very helpful. It was almost certainly written somewhere kind of, 1 Samuel chapter 18, chapter 19, if you want to go back and read the context later, but I think you'll remember it is after David has killed Goliath. He has been brought into Saul's court full time. uh, And the women begin to sing, right? Saul killed a lot of people, but David killed a lot more people. Saul becomes jealous and enraged, even to the point of trying to kill David multiple times. And yet Jonathan, Saul's son, is vouching for David. He's my best friend. He's loyal. He's not trying to steal the throne and brings David back into the court. Imagine that situation. Do I go or do I stay? When you are in those type of terrible situations, the bottom line is trust God. Trust God about everything. Trust God about (coughs) wicked people. Trust God about righteous people. Trust God about your refuge. But let me read the whole psalm, and then we'll go back and we'll make comments. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in the darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. So, When you are in a seemingly impossible situation, a confusing situation, and you don't know the right, the best thing to do, trust the Lord first about the wicked. 
Now, this advice may have been coming from an enemy of David. It may have been coming from some evil henchman in Saul's court. Uh, There's a guy that shows up later, you may remember, named Doeg the Edomite. And he was a guy that kind of uh, was deceptive to Saul about some of the things that priests had done to help David. And he ends up literally slaughtering a whole village of priests. So there was at least somebody that evil in Saul's court. It may have been somebody like that saying to David, Hey, David, you better run and hide, little boy. Uh, you better fly away like a little birdie or you're going to get hurt. Oh you, oh, you think you're a godly man and that's going to protect you? Haven't you noticed? Our king is possessed by a demon. He's already tried to kill you himself. It's not like you're going to be able to go to court and make your case. Just run away. They may have been jealous. They may have been envious of David and thinking if we can threaten him, hey, we got a bunch of assassins. We can track you down at night shoot at you in the dark, will kill you, you better run away. It's highly likely that is where the advice was coming from. But look at how David is going to... If that is it, look at David's response, his meditation. By verse 5, we know this is David meditating, speaking truth to himself. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. There's comfort in that. If these people are really wicked, evil, henchmen, assassins, out to get me, lying about me, slandering me. God hates people like that. He hates their actions. And He will judge them. He will judge them. I mean, look at verse 6. Upon the wicked He will rain snares, fire and brimstone, and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. I mean, that's reminiscent of Sodom and Gomorrah. At some point, God's patience and mercy will run out with the wicked, and He will destroy them. And so as David meditates on that, there is a sense of... Security. I, I don't... This is one of the greatest things about David. When the pressure built almost every time, he said, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to take justice into my own hands. I'm going to leave that to the Lord. And, and how do you do that? It's because you're constantly reminding yourself, God is real. God is just. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. He sees what these people are doing. If it's really sinful, that means He hates it more than I hate it. And He will have His way with these people one day. I don't have to. You trust God to handle the wicked in His time and His way so that you don't do something stupid. But secondly, you also have to trust the Lord about the righteous. This advice might have come from friends of David. The same exact advice might have been from friends of David saying, David, be wise. Be safe. Saul has already thrown a spear at your head twice. This is not a good place for you to live. You don't need to keep having dinner with him. I don't care what Jonathan says. Run away. These guys are evil. They are wicked. They're murderers. Have some sense, man. Don't be naive. Don't be foolish. Run away and hide. Be reasonable. If the foundations of society has crumbled, I mean, if, if God's king is possessed by a demon, what hope is there? I think that one of the hardest situations that we will face in life in Christians is when it seems like the foundations of our society are crumbling. We can probably identify with that. I mean, I was speaking with a guy last week in the hall, right before Sunday school class, and he sends his kids to one of the great public schools in this area, but he was an elementary school, okay? And he said, we've just found out that they've hired a guidance counselor who's like a known homosexual. 
Like, I don't want my elementary school kids going f to get guidance advice about whatever they may be dealing with from an homosexual. You feel like the society, the society is crumbling around you. It's like, what hope is there? Early in marriage. I mean, this can play out lots of different ways. Early in marriage. My wife and I used to fight a lot. I've mentioned that. And there would be times where my wife would say some form of this to me. I don't trust a word that comes out of your mouth. Now, there's a right place for trust but verify, right? I mean, there's not just blind naivete. It's not what you build a marriage on. But I remember I would say to her at times, if you literally don't trust a word that comes out of my mouth, we, there's no foundation for us to even have a relationship. I mean, how can we communicate? Let me tell you, maybe the hardest situation, the most confusing situation my wife and I were ever in had to do with one of our sons. This was a few years ago. I will not name him to protect the not-so-innocent. He had done something really bad. There needed to be consequences, but it involved other people. And it, the real wrestle was, do we tell other parents or not? And I won't go into all of it, but there were, there were various things about the timing and when it had happened and how it had happened and what had come out and, I, you know, the other... Where we were really wrestling with, is this something where we just deal with our own son and let other people do it? Or do we need to talk to other parents? We, it was one of the hardest decisions we ever made. And here's the reason why. It was going to have massive comp impact on my son. But also, I was calling different Christian mentors that I have Highly respected, older, wiser pastors, counselors, my own father, people like that. And some of the advice I was getting was diametrically opposed. You ever been in a situation like that? I'm calling my best men. I'm calling in the A-team. <laughs> and they're contradicting themselves. So what do you do? You know, you pray, you fast. Part of what you have to remember, one commentator, a guy named Willick, said this, attitude is more important than location. And he's talking about David's specific situation. I would say this. Our attitude is more important than having the right answers. And I'll, I'll come back to that. Right answers matter. Please hear me. I'm not saying I'll just be laissez-faire. It doesn't matter. Just do it. No. Take the decision seriously. But don't take it so seriously that the burden of the weight of it crushes you. Because God is such a loving and good God. If you make a stupid decision... From right motives, God's not going to zap you in anger. He's a loving Father. He understands. <clears throat> right? And just listen. Live long enough, and it will happen. You will make a really bad, stupid decision. Not out of sinful motives. You'll do that as well. But there'll be times where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best to walk with the Lord, and you'll still make a stupid decision. Because you're not God, and neither am I. Um, and he, he's so kind and gracious and patient, he'll still protect you and bless you even when you make the wrong decision. So wrestle with it, but wrestle with an open hand and a, and a light heart because he carries the heavy burden. We don't have to. With that decision, my wife and I came to the best decision that we thought we could, kind of by the deadline that we had to make it by. Right? That really helps when there's like, there's time is of the essence. You can't wait. Well, we'll just... Wait for about seven years and then make the decision. Doesn't work that way, right? It's like I got to make a decision in about twenty-four hours. And if you had asked me in that moment, how confident are you that this is the right decision? Ah, about fifty-one percent. <laughs> but we made the decision. We did it. And you know what? I tell people when I've shared this story a couple times before is I slept like a baby that night. And you know why? It's not because I was so convinced. I know I made the right decision. I knew that at the end of the day, 
the burden wasn't on my back. I tried by grace to be as faithful as I could, and now God's in control, God's sovereign. He would control the rest. And guys, that's how you have to live life. You trust God with the wicked people in your life. You trust God with the righteous people in your life. But you also trust God with the refuge. Now, this is an interesting psalm. There's no prayer in here. It's all meditation. And look how it starts out. In the Lord I take refuge. It starts out with a declaration. Hey, I'm in this seemingly impossible situation, but before I even get into the mental wrestling match I need to do, I just want to say, whatever happens, I trust God. I rest in God. He's my hope, no matter how this thing ends. Okay. Skip down again to verse 4 and 5. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. It's not just that God tests the wicked. He tests us. He tests His own people. I mean, in some sense, guys, all of life is a test. It has been that way since the Garden of Eden. Human life started out as a test, did it not? All of life is a test. But when hardship comes to bear, we're much more aware of the test, right? When it's vacation and you're sitting on the beach with your spouse, with the cool breeze and a sunshine on your face and a drink in your hand and everything's wonderful, the world is like, I'm sure there's a test right now, Lord, but it doesn't feel like a test. It just feels like a little foretaste of glory divine. And then when you're in the midst of hardship, it's like, oh yeah, I'm being tested. And and, and part of what we need to remember is when you are tested, don't be shocked. Why would you put me in a situation, God, where the decision's hard? Because he's testing you. Because that's what he's been doing for thousands of years. Don't be surprised. William Cowper, great poet, Christian poet. "'Tis my happiness below not to live without the cross, but the Savior's power to know, sanctifying every loss." Trials make the promise sweet. Trials give new life to prayer. Trials bring me to his feet. Lay me low and keep me there. Did I meet no trials here, no chastisement by the way? Might I not with reason fear I should prove a castaway? Bastards may escape the rod, sunk in earthly vain delight, but the true-born child of God must not, would not, if he might. If you're really a child of God, in some weird way you welcome the test. This is your way, Father. I don't like it, but I trust you. Charles Spurgeon says, God doesn't hate hate the saints, but he does test them. And as I was kind of writing down some notes for this, I, I kind of put in the margin by that quote. But sometimes it feels like he hates us, doesn't it? In the middle of the test. We have all the right theology. And it's like, Lord, this test is so heavy. This test is so hard. This test is so confusing. This test almost feels oppressive to my spirit. I know all the right theology, but it feels like you hate me. How are you doing with the test of life? How are we responding? Can we trust God no matter what happens? When hardship comes, there's multiple different ways we can simply respond. We can kind of respond with an utter lack of confidence. It's just cowardice. It's kind of cower and fear. Or we can respond with kind of overconfidence. I got this. No big deal. Arrogance. Sometimes God might want you to stand up, speak up, fight. Speak the truth. 
But other times he might want you to withdraw and be quiet and don't throw your pearls before swine. And if you always respond the exact same way, I was reading an article uh, about Charles Stanley. I'll just say I was reading an article about Charles Stanley, and I like Charles Stanley. I grew up listening to Charles Stanley. They're a lot of good. But there was a quote in there where he's like, I just always fight. That's my nature. It's like, I'm not sure that's the better part of wisdom. I think that probably comes more out of your personality and your upbringing if you're like, I always respond to situations the same way, right? That's like, I'm a hammer, and so everything I see is a nail. (laughs) That usually doesn't work out well in life. You can give in to, listen, when, when the seemingly impossible situations come, right, the confusing ones where it's not clear, you can respond with apathy. Ah, whatever. God's sovereign. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to, I'm just going to eat something, drink something, watch TV. Chill out. Is there a time and place to just chill for a little bit, eat, drink? Yes, in the short run. But if it becomes your refuge because I'm just ignoring problems, it's not good. I, I got a good friend, a godly guy, talking to him recently. He's had a lot of hardship. And he just said, I don't need, he said, it's not just that I'm not spending time with God. He said, I've had seasons where I'm not spending time with God, like because I'm so busy and I want to, but I'm not. He said, I don't want to spend time with God because I don't want to have to process all my negative emotions. And that's what it's going to be. If I really slow down, get alone, me and God, the Bible, it's going to be negative, sad, mad, painful. And I don't want to do that. So I'm just kind of playing more golf. Bad strategy. We can respond again. The other extreme would just be anxiety, right? Oh, I'm engaged, but I'm hyper-engaged, and it's all on my back. <laughs> right? Don't nudge your spouse on this one. Just pray for, just pray for them, right? Or it can just be anger. I hate this problem, and you know what? It's everybody else's fault. If everybody else were just more like me, the world would be a wonderful place. Again, we're not stupid enough to say that out loud. Most of us aren't. <laughs> but you can think that sometimes. So, so what do you do when you're overwhelmed? You fix your eyes on the Lord. God is in His temple. God is on the throne. He has all power. He has all goodness. You, you look to the Lord. That we may be blind to stuff. And listen, we might be blind to what's going on because we've got tears of pain or blinded by rage. But he can see it all clearly. There's no impossible situation for him. I've been meeting with this couple. Married couple's been going through a really hard time for months now and met this week again and they're getting a divorce. Uh, both professing believers. Four young kids. Wife wants to divorce. Husband doesn't want the divorce. She doesn't have biblical grounds. Um, they go to a church that, you know, won't really get involved in anything like that. Uh, if you, For both of them, but let's just look for the husband. How do you proceed? You, do you fight like crazy? This is sin. This is wrong. I'm not going to let you ruin my marriage. Knowing that in the state of Alabama, the laws, it doesn't matter what you do. If the other person wants a divorce, eventually they will get a divorce. But you say, I'm fighting on principle. You can make a good case for that, right? Or do you just say, I don't want her to hate me anymore than she does. I don't want my kids to hate me. 
I don't want to maybe hate God. So I'm going to be as cordial as I can and just try to get through this as easy and smoothly as possible to try to hope that maybe there can be a remarriage one day. I'm telling you, you live long enough, life is going to throw situations at you. And right, when I say life, that's God <laughs> is going to perfectly design and craft tests for you and throw them at you that will seem like there is no good solution. There is no good option. There's just multiple bad options. And guys, that's when attitude is more important than answers. Please hear me. Answers are important. They're just not the most important. And the danger for a lot of us PCA reform types is we think, well, I just got all the answers. What else do you need? Look how many answers I have. We have more answers than all the other denominations put together. It's like, well, maybe we do, maybe we don't. I'm just telling you, that ain't going to solve all your problems. Why? Right? I mean, I mean, even the way I've tried to approach this psalm this morning, it's like, I can't even answer everything after reading 20-plus commentaries about what some of the stuff in the psalm means. Much less the life situations that will be thrown at us. And what you have to do in those situations is boil it down to the basics. Go back to what's clear. Focus on what's clearest when there's a lot of stuff that's not clear. Because if you focus on what's clearest, it can give you confidence to walk through the things that are not clear. Because listen, even if we have all the answers, right? I mean, we could do testimony time on this. Don't worry, I'm not going to, right? But tell me about a situation where you knew perfectly what was the right decision to do. And you said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do that because I'm a rebel. Right? Adam knew, yeah, that's the tree we're not supposed to eat from. But if my wife and the snake want me to, sure, I'll have that out. <laughs> and we do that kind of stuff all the time. And then there's just so many times where it doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you read, how many mentors you talk to, how many seminary degrees you have, you won't be able to have all the answers. So if you're putting your hope in that basket, it's a broken basket. You know the hymn, This is My Father's World. And though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. So when you feel like you're in a situation and you're about to be drowned by all the pain and the sin and the lack of clarity, God's on his throne. God is strong. Now, let me ask you one more question. Up the end a little bit. What do you do if your persecutor, so to speak, or your enemy is a Christian? In some of those early days of marriage, and we've had a few fights since then, you know, when things really get sideways, like the, I don't want to talk to you anymore, right? Maybe I'll never reach that phase, but hypothetically, we reached that phase once or twice. You know, part of how I would come for myself is I was like, Lena's a Christian. I'm convinced of that. She'll come back around. And guys, probably likely she was in the other room saying, I think Olin's a Christian. <laughs> I hope he's a Christian. Maybe he'll come back around, right? And we did. But guys, remember... In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was the church. Saul had been anointed by the prophet with the Holy Spirit to be the king of God's people. And the king back then of Israel was kind of like the pope and the president rolled up into one. 
And now the spiritual leader's got a demon, and he's trying to murder people. You know, if you're Dietrich Bonhoeffer, dealing with the Nazis, and they're about to hang you, there's a sense in which, well, they're wicked, evil men, and God will judge them one day, so I can love them, ease them as I walk to the gallows, right? But what about when your enemy on planet Earth is a Christian? Yeah, how could that ever happen? Again, just live long enough. You'll get to taste it. I mean, this couple that I'm telling you about, I can't read people's hearts. But as best I can tell, the woman's a Christian. I think she's an immature, misinformed Christian, but a Christian nonetheless. And humanly speaking, she is making decisions that this guy can genuinely say, are going to ruin my freaking life, right? Ruin my life, ruin my family, ruin my kids, right? I'm going to counseling, you're going to counseling, we're going to counseling, kids are starting to go to counseling. It's like, how do you respond? The Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes he ran away. Remember the first time he preached in the synagogue? It says they took him out to the hill. They wanted to murder him right then. But he got away. He ran through the crowd. He got away. There were times he ran away and hid. But there were other times. There was at least one time he stayed. And he didn't stay to fight. He stayed to die. He stayed to humble himself. He stayed to drink the cup of wrath that the wicked deserve that you deserve, that I deserve, that all his people are going to have to drink. And he said, I'm going to drink it for you. So, in the marriage counseling appointment, the advice I gave him, I said, listen, I'm begging you all not to go out the door the way a lot of people leave the marriage and do the whole scorched earth thing. (laughs) With lawyers and money. and I'm begging you as much as possible and I know this seems impossible, with some sort of genuine smile on your face and maybe even a tear in your eye every time you see your spouse, whether it's at the house with the kids there or whether it's in the law office, try to be kind. Try to be gentle. Try to be respectful. And here was part of my motivation to them. (laughs) One day you guys might be neighbors in heaven. And that's probably only about 60 years away, which I know feels like an eternity right now, but it's not. If we meditate on the great, wonderful, eternal retirement plan that the Lord Jesus has purchased for us with His blood, it doesn't make the next 60 years of our life or whatever we got left easy, but it does make it easier, does it not? This life might stink. This life might be painful. This life might feel like I'm just not being tested. I'm being tortured sometimes. But it's like, well, then then we'll come. And we get a 24-7 forever party with Jesus. And he wipes the tears away from my eyes. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Death shall not be anymore. The former things have passed away. So, uh, in the moments where it seems overwhelming 
and confusing. And even the people that seem to be hurting you are at least professing believers. What gives you the power in that moment? To be calm yet confident. To still be loving, right? But yet not give in, still stand for the truth. It's got to be this. Left among ways, I'm one of the wicked. And I deserve pure wrath. And yet Jesus drank the cup for me. And even this person across the table for me right now, who deserves wrath. And I'd kind of like to be the one that gives it to them. <laughs> All sin either has been or will be punished and paid for. It will either be punished and paid for in an eternity of hell by that individual, or it was already punished and paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? And the only reason I'm a Christian is I believe that's true of me. How much do you really believe it? Can you believe it even for your enemy? Their sin was punished. This sin right now that's ripping my heart out. It was punished and paid for at the cross. So it doesn't mean I say, oh, your sin is not a big deal. Right? I can still say, your sin is ripping my heart out. But I'm still going to love you. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to be kind to you. So here's my last thought. My two last thoughts. The only 100% promise that we get experientially in this life as a Christian is that God's not going to send you to hell. Anything else that the wicked suffer in this life, potentially we can suffer. The test may be really hard. So when you're in a situation and you don't know what to do, just do what you know. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you always know the basics. I need to pray. I need to meditate. I need to love my enemies. I need to forgive. I need to overlook. When there's a lot of stuff out here that's unclear, go back to the basics. When you don't know what to do, do what you know. And and maybe better yet, (laughs) when you don't know what to do, know the one that you trust. Know the one who does know what to do. And just look to him. Trust him. Rest in him as your final refuge. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to trust the one we know by faith more fully. And we confess to you, Lord Jesus, that our faith is pretty weak. It's it's real. It's genuine. Thank you for the gift of faith. But Lord, oftentimes our faith seems like such a weak faith, a struggling faith. And as the test comes, maybe we resist falling into different sins the first time, the second time, the third time. But at some point, we just break under the pressure. I pray you'd grow us up. I pray you'd mature us. That we could persevere in godliness for longer. That we'd be stronger in faith. But Lord, even when we crash and burn, I pray that we would be quick to run to you to confess our sins and to experience once again the forgiveness, the mercy, the cleansing we have because of the blood of Jesus spilled for us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen 
and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.